Welcome to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of January 7th, 2024, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side, which fortunately is not under aerial bombardment. If my voice sounds more scratchy and nasal than usual, that's because I'm suffering from COVID, and it just drives me to distraction that I am continuing, even now, to see anti-mask memes on Facebook. So tonight, I'm going to be ranting against the insidious meme menace, and that is not a joke. So, yeah, this largely concerns Facebook, flagship online product of Mark Zuckerberg's annoyingly named Meta. We require some definition of terms here, because the more popular terms I'm going to use differ from the official Facebook terms, so to speak. I'm going to say memes and articles the latter articles being what I'm trying to promote on Facebook. Facebook says photos and links, but so-called memes, which are not really photos, are in the category of photos. They're really online propaganda posters. The term originates from postmodern theory, where it means, according to Merriam-Webster, an idea, behavior, style, or usage that spreads from person to person within a culture. In other words, goes viral. But Facebook memes are mostly aspirational in that sense. The creators hope they're going to go viral, and some do, and some don't. But they're all called memes today. And links just means links to content from elsewhere on the internet, but typically to articles, with the headline and photo appearing on Facebook after you post the link as a kind of a teaser, inviting people to click and read something actually off Facebook. Perish the thought. Any of you Facebook users will know exactly what I mean. This explication is largely for that intelligent minority of y'all who are not on Facebook. Okay, it has been reported in the tech news site The Verge, among other places, that in response to new competition from the also odiously named video platform TikTok, Facebook has tweaked their algorithm and apparently in such a way as to emphasize videos as well as memes, but definitely de-emphasize links to articles from external sources. So as to keep eyeballs in Facebook, you can still post links to external articles, e.g. from the New York Times or the BBC or Al Jazeera, or counter-vortex, but they are all buried by the algorithm, and nobody sees them. But you get a steady flow of memes 
all playing to your POV to keep you hooked on the Facebook screen. So this is the big corporate enclosure of the internet that I've been fearing and anticipating for years. And the end of the utopian free-for-all, as we all saw it back in those innocent years of the 1990s. And in a case of cyber-colonialism, if you will, this is most advanced in Africa, where Facebook has launched a phone app called Free Basics, which is portrayed as this altruistic development scheme to get the African masses online for free, but what they actually offer is access to a restricted sliver of the internet, mostly centered on, you guessed it, Facebook. So for much of the African continent today, Facebook basically is the internet. Extremely disconcerting. But here, and by here I mean New York City, and like nodes of the imperial metropole, we are cooperating in this process without any such exploitation of poverty or marginalization, just pure conditioning. Now, this is a real dilemma for me, because I need to use Facebook. Because with the utter descent of Twitter into mere savagery since Elon Musk took over and renamed it X, I have no other means of promoting my work, my daily news digests and commentary, bloggery, if you will, and podcast rants on Counter Vortex. And now those links are being sent down a black hole of oblivion, while my Facebook feed has been taken over by a hypertrophy of memes. But this isn't about me and my website promotion dilemmas. It really isn't. There is a much bigger problem here. Memes are inherently dumbing down discourse, and there's an especially dangerous bait-and-switch aspect to the situation. Because people over the past years have come to rely on Facebook for their news. Now, this was already a dumb idea, because you're only going to see news stories your friends post and stories promoted to you on the basis of what you've already liked, quote-unquote. So it's going to entrench your groupthink, no matter which side you're on, on any particular issue. But now people aren't even seeing news stories at all, just memes. And are they going to actually make the effort to get off of Facebook? and go to actual news sources for their news? Or are they just going to look at memes and think they're being informed? Serious question. And they're not being informed. More often than not, they're being misinformed, and often in very insidious ways. All right, let's take an example from either side of the Palestinian question. Now, I have to emphasize that in doing so, I don't mean to imply neutrality on this question. I am anti-Zionist. 
But I am trying to illustrate how memes dumb down everything. I'm not trying to score points against the Zionists here. I've done that plenty on other rants, as listeners will be aware, but against Meta. And I'll add that I'm one of the few who actually sees propaganda from both sides. I have plenty of lefty friends who share pro-Palestinian stuff, and certain groups I belong to about Yiddish language and Jewish culture and so on have disappointingly been taken over by Israeli war propaganda memes since October 7th. So, let's start with one from the Zionist camp. And here I'll be bashing the Zionist groupthink, but don't you worry, anti-Zionists, your turn is next. Both of these examples seem to be memes that are reproductions or screenshots of tweets in meme format, the text of a tweet appearing as a Facebook meme, if you follow me, with no link to the actual tweet, just displaying the text of the kind of propaganda poster. I will read from the text of one. All right, this is a tweet from somebody who goes by the... uh, (laughs) possibly ironic handle, Straw Man, with the the A's rendered as X's, so at S-T-R-X-W-M-X-N, strange, but he writes, quote, aside from Hamas and their state sponsors, nobody bears more responsibility for the misery of Palestinians than all the useful idiots calling Israel an illegal state. By giving oxygen to this notion, they promote the fantasy of eliminationist struggle and justifying needless sacrifice, encouraging Palestinians to finally accept the reality of an Israeli state will pave the way for constructive, pragmatic approaches based on compromise and mutual concessions. End quote. Now, there is so much error packed into this short passage that one hardly knows where to begin. For starters, yes, Israel is an illegal state. It serially violates the Geneva Convention year after year, including most obviously in this moment in the Gaza Strip. But the largest and most hideous of periodic paroxysms of aerial bombardment of Gaza that we've seen over the past years, Israel has, since 2004, been in open defiance of a ruling of the world court declaring its separation barrier or apartheid wall on the West Bank illegal. Israel has been, for generations, illegally settling an occupied territory. Much of its actual national territory was seized by conquest in 1948, not granted by the UN. It was founded in a campaign of ethnic cleansing, and the UN resolution creating it, Resolution 181 of 1947, was never approved by the Security Council, only the General Assembly whose resolutions are held 
to be non-binding. This objective reality is no less evident for being virtually taboo. Israel is also, I will add, a so-called NPT outlier state, a non-member of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which has an undeclared nuclear arsenal in precisely the same category as North Korea, except with a much bigger arsenal. So, an illegal state, indisputably, in terms of its action and behavior, at least since 1967, and arguably, at least, an illegal state in terms of its actual origins in 1948. Second, Israel is actually engaged in an eliminationist struggle in Gaza, while the eliminationist struggle on the Palestinian side is purely aspirational, and that aspiration is only shared by Hamas, the faction in power in Gaza, and certain other smaller factions in Gaza, like Islamic Jihad. Certainly not, or no longer for the past generation plus since Oslo, by Fatah, the faction that rules over the greater number of Palestinians in the West Bank, three million to some two million in Gaza. And Fatah rules, of course, only a portion of the West Bank and has been maneuvered into accepting Israeli occupation of the majority of the territory. And Israel has been aggressively and illegally settling that territory. And Israel's leaders have certainly engaged in frightening eliminationist rhetoric regarding the West Bank and are even beginning to instate an eliminationist struggle in the West Bank as well, with settlers with IDF connivance attacking Palestinian villages and driving out the residents since October 7th, and it is getting alarmingly little media coverage, but you certainly aren't going to hear about it if you get your information <clears throat> from Zionist Facebook memes, I again quote George Orwell, The nationalist not only does not disapprove of atrocities committed by his own side, but he has a remarkable capacity for not even hearing about them. So, whoever wrote this meme or tweet or whatever thinks it is the Palestinians who need to do more compromising. I say they've already compromised plenty, and it's time for pressure on Israel to compromise if you're at all serious about peace. And far from any glimmer of such recognition, that same group in which I saw that meme has also displayed that ultra-odious meme showing an Israeli flag filling the outline of all of historic Palestine with the words, from the river to the sea, Israel is what you'll see. Explicitly annexationist and eliminationist. And these are the first people to get bent out of shape about the Palestinian slogan, it is mocking. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I don't know how they square it. I really don't. However, it is unfortunately necessary to emphasize that 
recognizing the illegal nature of the Israeli state does not mean that the Israelis are not entitled to human rights. Human rights are not based on the legality of a state that a people live under, but on humanity. That's why they're called human rights. And the notion that a people should be held collectively responsible for the crimes of the regime they live under is precisely that being put into a ghastly practice by the IDF in Gaza at the moment. And I will add that some <clears throat> indiscretions on the anti-Zionist side have played into Israeli fears of an eliminationist struggle. Which brings us to our example from the anti-Zionist side. Okay, this was posted to a, uh, a Facebook group called Labor and Politics from a uh, tweeter who goes by the handle Rely on Allah. Quote, breaking, Yediath Aronath, colon, that's an Israeli newspaper, Nova concert victims sue Israel. 42 victims of the October 7th Nova concert have filed a civil lawsuit against the IDF, police, and Israel's internal security service. Lawsuit alleges negligence and a failure to act on warnings of a potential security threat. Several victims have already decided to publicly comment that the Israeli army fired at them out of control. A police investigation also confirmed that many of the October 7th victims were killed by the IDF. End quote. Extremely misleading. If you actually do some digging from <clears throat> news sources, you will find that this doesn't quite check out. I was unable to find the Yediath Aronath story, which was presumably in Hebrew, but I found a story from the Times of Israel about Nova survivors suing over the intelligence failure that led to the massacre. But it doesn't say anything about the claim that the IDF killed some of the concertgoers. That was mentioned in another unrelated article, that is, not about the lawsuit, on a website called The Cradle, which links to an article in Hebrew in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, which publishes an English edition, but this doesn't seem to be on it, which said merely via Google Translate, quote, according to a police source, an investigation into the incident also revealed that an IDF combat helicopter that arrived on the scene from the Ramat David base fired at the terrorists and apparently also hit some of the revelers who were there, end quote. So note how we went from some in the original, to many in the meme. A nice little trick, especially given that the source was in Hebrew and the meme intended for an English-language audience. And there's nothing to suggest that the killing of concertgoers by the IDF was brought up by the kids who were suing. If you have any evidence that it was, please bring it to my attention. But I didn't find it in my digging. And I actually did some digging, which is more than the vast majority of meme consumers do. 
This is related to the implication going viral on Facebook that um, October 7th was a false flag attack or the uh, credulous regurgitation of the Hamas claim that only members of the security forces were targeted in the attacks. I read from an AFP report of December 15th, quote, the final death toll from the attack is now thought to be 695 Israeli civilians, including 36 children, as well as 373 security forces and 71 foreigners, giving a total of 1,139, end quote. So, if you wish to contest this, you better have something better to offer than Hamas said so. But now we go to an even worse example from my side, as it were, a tweet meme, so to speak, from the uh, ultra-odious Caitlin Johnstone on Twitter at uh, C-A-I-T-O-Z with one of those obnoxious and now completely meaningless blue checks next to her name. Quote, can't stop tripping on how fast the West moved from arming and applauding Nazis to backing an actual genocide, end quote. So, the same propaganda game, the Palestinians are terrorists, the Ukrainians are Nazis, they deserve to get bombed, and you can hear it right from the horse's mouth, straight out of Russian state media RT. December 28th, 2023, headline, quote, Israel's declared goals similar to Russia's, Lavrov. The fight against Nazism is what historically unites Russia and the Middle Eastern country, the foreign minister believes. The declared goals of Israel in its ongoing operation against Hamas militants in Gaza seem nearly identical to Moscow's in its campaign against the Ukrainian government, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said in an interview with Ria Novosti, the official Russian news agency, end quote. He actually said it. So, way to totally betray the Ukrainians and spread Russian war propaganda, all you supposed lefties who shared this meme. How do these tankies, like Caitlin Johnstone, square it? Tankies, in case you don't know the term, are those either dupes or charlatans on the pseudo-left, as you might say, who always root for Russian tanks, whether it was in Hungary in 1956, Czechoslovakia in 1968, or in Ukraine today. And Caitlin Johnstone has been one of the worst offenders of this tendency. And Caitlin's stuff has been taking off in Facebook and X like the proverbial gangbusters since October 7th. Uh, Our counter-vortex collaborator, social media volunteer Adam Weissman, commented on Facebook in this regard. I will read what he had to say. Quote, Can everyone please stop sharing screenshots of Caitlin Johnstone tweets? She comes up with cute lines, but she is no friend of the Palestinian people. 
She supported Assad when he was bombing the Yarmouk Palestinian refugee camp in Syria. She claims Assad bombings of civilians are false flag operations, despite ample evidence to the contrary. She is a recipient of the Serena Shim Award cash prize, backed by an outfit that disseminates propaganda advancing the interests of the Iran-Assad-Russia alliance. She and others like her are using the war on Palestine to ingratiate themselves to the left. They denounce atrocities by the U.S. and its allies because of who is doing them, not because they are atrocities. When the side that funds them commits atrocities, they deny them as readily as Biden covers for Israel. End quote. Thank you very much, Adam, for sparing me the effort of having to come up with a rant against Caitlin Johnstone. <laughs> and uh, those of you who wish to be filled in on um, Assad's long years of siege and bombardment at the uh, Yarmouk Palestinian refugee camp outside Damascus, are referred to our podcast episode 200 of November 20th, entitled Gaza and Yarmouk, Forbidden Symmetry. Okay, now I want to read some items that you might have missed. From Amnesty International, October 31st, 2023, quote, Ethiopia, Meta's failures contributed to abuses against Tigrayan community during conflict in northern Ethiopia. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, contributed to serious human rights abuses against Ethiopia's Tigrayan community. Amnesty International said in a new report published today, the report, Meta's contribution to human rights abuses in northern Ethiopia, shows how Meta has once again failed to adequately curb the spread of content advocating hatred and violence, this time targeting Tigrayans during the November 2020 to November 2022 armed conflict in northern Ethiopia. Three years after its staggering failures in Myanmar, Meta has once again, through its content-shaping algorithms and data-hungry business model, contributed to serious human rights abuses. Amnesty International has previously highlighted Meta's contribution to human rights abuses against the Rohingya in Myanmar and warned against the recurrence of these harms if Meta's business model and content-shaping algorithms were not fundamentally reformed. End quote. Which brings us to from Amnesty International, August 25th, 2023. Quote, time to pay up, Meta. Myanmar, time for Meta to pay reparations to Rohingya for role in ethnic cleansing. Meta should immediately pay reparations to the Rohingya for the role that Facebook played in the ethnic cleansing of the persecuted minority group. Amnesty International said today, on the sixth anniversary of the Myanmar military's brutal operation, during which they raped Rohingya women and girls, burned down villages, and killed thousands. 
Facebook's algorithms and Meta's ruthless pursuit of profit created an echo chamber that helped foment hatred of the Rohingya people and contributed to the conditions which forced the ethnic group to flee Myanmar en masse. Although this stands out as one of the most egregious examples of a social media company's involvement in a human rights crisis, the Rohingya are still awaiting reparations from Meta, end quote. But just keep sharing junk you see on Facebook without vetting it first. No, really, go ahead, knock yourselves out. Okay, some uh, news clips concerning the current crisis, the bombardment of Gaza. This from Deutsche Welle News, Germany. Uh, November 10th, quote, fact check, AI fakes in Israel's war against Hamas, end quote. It cites examples of atrocity images produced by partisans on either side, purported to be either from the October 7th attacks or the Gaza bombardment. And one image from the prior category was actually shared by Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu's office. All on examination by experts proved to be so-called deep fakes, artificial intelligence creations. The account doesn't make clear on what social media platform this was done. These images were proliferated, but it was likely enough Facebook. And this has such a toxic effect on the whole climate. And here, I again have to lecture my own side. If you spread fabricated images, some people on my own side, hopefully a slim minority, but seemingly enough to make trouble. If you spread fabricated images of Gaza atrocities, Israel can say accurately that atrocity pics are being fabricated. So what are you thinking? Do you really think this helps? Do you really think there has been a deficit of real ghastly images from Gaza? If only. A similar report from PBS NewsHour, December 28th, entitled The Online Information War Over Fake Content Linked to Israel-Hamas Conflict. Quote-unquote, notes other such examples, including fake claims about a five-month-old Palestinian baby who was killed in an Israeli airstrike that Israel's online partisans were claiming was a doll. That went viral. It was published in the Israeli press. So, forgive the pun, but that's pretty meta, Noam Sain. Not a fake image, but fake claims about a real image, a fake fake, so to speak. Again, this is what you are feeding into by faking images. Just stop. The PBS report also notes, quote, We have seen in this war, too, just images from other places. Images from Syria, for example, being passed off as something that was unfolding in Gaza. How do you even begin to verify what's real and what's not? End quote. And again, I ask why? 
There's plenty of horror enough in either place. Why would you go fishing for images from Syria again as if there were a deficit of ghastly images from Gaza? Just why? What are you thinking? But please, keep sharing without vetting, everyone. And I have to say, I have a real problem with sharing atrocity images on social media at all. Do I really want to see photos of mangled children on my Facebook page, as I've seen for years, with admonishments to stop the carnage in Gaza or Syria or Iraq? No, I don't. Especially given that the photos are invariably unsourced and it is therefore impossible to even know if the dead kids are being presented honestly. Furthermore, Having mangled babies popping up on your Facebook stream in between cute kitten photos and banal invitations to name a city that does not have the letter A has exactly the opposite of its intended effect. It ultimately further desensitizes us to violence and carnage. Remember when we were all mad at the TV news? for juxtaposing reports of genocide in Biafra with advertisements for Jell-O? How is this any better? This is cynical exploitation of the dead. The most egregious case was in the aftermath of the Gouda gas attack in Syria in 2013. There was a veritable explosion of atrocity porn on my feed with anti-war Facebook friends posting image after sickening image of Gaza victims, Hiroshima victims, deformed babies from the Agent Orange zones of Vietnam, or from Fallujah in the aftermath of bombardment with depleted uranium weapons, all with the intention of pointing to U.S. hypocrisy on the use of chemical weapons in Syria. Did anyone ask the victims being thusly displayed if they wanted their images to be used in this way? And it is extremely doubtful that such victims would be nearly as insensitive to those of Ghouta as the big majority of anti-war voices in the U.S. have been. By the way, just stop. Now, I don't think that these images should be suppressed by any means. But just posting them on Facebook willy-nilly with no context, no attribution, no date, no location, and no trigger warning is irresponsible. Okay, now I want to mention a couple of examples of actual outright Facebook censorship, which is, of course, to be opposed. For years, I've noticed that my posts about cannabis do not come up in Facebook searches. Now I get this result for hashtag BB to the Hague, a hashtag that I've been using for months. But if I search for it on Facebook, nothing comes up. Irrefutable evidence of Facebook censorship. Zook is a punk. I'll also note that back during the Black Lives Matter uprising in 2020, Facebook blocked the anarchist groups Crime Think and It's Going Down 
while apparently giving free reign to radical right sites that were mobilizing vigilantes to the streets in places like Kenosha, Wisconsin, if you remember what happened there. But the incessant whining from lefties about how social media favors the right, mirrored by the opposite whining from the righties, of course, is almost beside the point. Facebook is designed, whether consciously or not, as an enabler of groupthink, propaganda, and confirmation bias. The algorithm is designed to show you more of the kind of material you've liked. And the more you like such material, the more you see of it in a vicious circle. Soon you see nothing that will challenge you, make you think, only material that will entrench the opinions you already have. The token efforts after the fake news scandals around the 2016 elections to provide alternative viewpoints have been fairly meaningless. And with no editorial process, does anyone remember editorial process? No fact-checking, no quality control, you are more likely to be fed simple bullshit. The only way to use Facebook responsibly, if that is possible at all, is to do so consciously, with your critical analysis skills fully engaged, constantly correcting for the innate tendency to groupthink misinformation and disinformation. This is a part of the reason I've been so relentless in insisting on checking the date of shared stories and fixing the quotation marks in copy-pasted text. And if you understand basic punctuation, you will know what I mean by that. And if not, email me or leave a comment and I'll explain it. It isn't merely that this is good practice on its own merits, but doing so imposes a frame of mind that also entails vetting the material to see if it is legitimate or not. That is, paying some damn attention to what you are doing instead of letting the algorithm do your thinking for you. But I know from years of bitter experience that few of you will vet, and many of you only mock me for insisting on date-checking and fixing the quotation marks. Even after the fake news scandals, even after Facebook's role in the electoral debacle of 2016 and Zuckerberg being called to testify before Congress, and even after fake images on Facebook have been implicated in fueling genocide in Burma and Ethiopia, still, I cannot induce the big majority of you, my friends and followers in Facebook lingo, to adopt this discipline. Not a day goes by, hardly an hour, that I do not see the most egregious horse shit on Facebook. You're all just happily clicking and sharing away and getting off on the outrage buzz. I really despair trying to instill a culture of skepticism and practice of vetting before sharing on social media is a quixotic crusade if ever there was one.
But let me go over one more time, as futile as it feels, the basics of vetting sources. Rule number one for judging articles, that is, external links posted to Facebook, if something sounds unlikely, it probably is. If it smells at all suspect, follow the links back to the original source. Pay attention to how the intermediary sources have distorted or embellished things. And then note the sources of the original source. If it is all based on anonymous quotes, skepticism is warranted. If it is a site with a poor record for accuracy, Mint Press, Gray Zone, InfoWars, Global Research, Zero Hedge, 21st Century Wire, etc., a lot of skepticism is warranted. Don't be a rube. Weigh how accurate or rigorous the story is before posting it or sharing it. Whether a caveat about its reliability should be added, and whether the original source should be posted rather than the second, third, or fourth hand write up that happened to appear on your feed. Also, remember to note the date. Do not post a year old story as if it were new. Remember, people rely on Facebook for their news, often exclusively. You have responsibilities when you post or share something. But of course, this kind of discipline is much more difficult with a mere meme as opposed to an article because it doesn't even contain a link to a source. There's nothing to click on. To fact check, you've got to enter the key phrases into Google and hope you can find corroboration or establish lack thereof, as the case may be. And what's particularly sickening is the smug, know-it-all attitude that prevails among the meme meisters. Like they're getting out the truth. They're an army of plucky little online resistance fighters against the dreaded mainstream media, which nobody even reads or watches anymore, but which actually still, heaven forbid, produces real journalism, not just cute propaganda posters. This obsessive mistrust of the much-maligned mainstream media represents an ironic Chomsky-Maga convergence and the complete eclipse of rigor by mere sanctimony. And the ultimate irony of it is that the new big media of our time is Facebook. And the more you keep sharing and clicking away on memes, the happier our new corporate overlord, Zuck, is. You're the corporate stooges, meme meisters, not us old-school consumers of actual journalism. So, I'm calling for a complete meme moratorium. If we all just stop sharing memes, Zuck will be forced to capitulate and start emphasizing links to articles again, but it has to be a real, total, 100% meme moratorium. No exceptions. 
no matter how witty the meme is, and no matter how good a sanctimony buzz it gives you. And I don't care whether the meme is propaganda for the good guys or the bad guys. The problem is the medium itself. The ends do not justify the memes. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, thanks to uh, three readers and or listeners in uh, New York City and Philadelphia. We have received a couple of hundred dollars in donations since our last podcast, and that means that we have surpassed our modest goal of $500 for our winter fund drive, and we will stop haranguing you about it. (laughs) A big thanks to everyone who came through for the counter vortex. But I will point out that all of these, uh, you know, the bogus sites that we've been calling out, like, uh, you know, Gray Zone, raised thousands of dollars in their fund drives. And we still need more Patreon supporters. So please sign up there to throw us just a buck or two per weekly podcast. Patreon.com slash CounterVortex. We need your help to keep going. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about is all blogged up and hyperlinked and documented to credible sources. Support us on Patreon, join the Counter Vortex, join the Resistance, and rant on you next time.